0: This is the Trip Doctor Podcast. I'm Arizona State University tourism professor, Evan Jordan. If you're interested in learning more about being an intelligent traveler, head over to the website at GotripDoctor.com where you can find travel planning resources, a blog about all things travel, and a traveler personality quiz. Welcome back to the first episode of the Trip Doctor Podcast of 2019. You may have seen them on the roads. They're the ones in converted buses, refurbished vans, and sometimes regular old RVs. They're the ones living on the cheap in Southeast Asia or working in the rapidly expanding network of co-working spaces across the globe. They're the ones who've sold their houses and most of their possessions in exchange for the freedom to roam wherever the road may take them. They're the ones who are working in the gig economy, coding the websites you browse, creating the apps you use, designing the graphics you see, and writing the stories you read. They're the ones with little stability but vast amounts of freedom to be where they want to be, when they want to be there. They are digital nomads. Have you ever thought about ditching your 9-to-5, selling your possessions, and joining the ranks of the digital nomad movement? Stick around and listen to my interview with Sam Matthew, legal counsel for remote year, about being a digital nomad himself, some of the legal fine print to think about if this is something that interests you, and how he's helping to write new immigration laws to bring regulation up to speed with how work gets done in the 21st century.
1: I live out of a uh, carry-on, and I have been doing that since, I would say, about July of 2016. I sold my car, broke my lease, and I have lived wherever my bag and my laptop are ever since.
0: I want to start off, uh, you went to the blog site and took the Traveler personality quiz, the Trip Doctor Traveler personality quiz, and I'm curious about what you got. Can you tell the listeners uh, what type of traveler the quiz says you are, and is that accurate, you think?
1: Yes. So the quiz said that I am the adapter, and I do think it's accurate. Um, The last sentence in the description of the adapter is flexibility is the name of your game, And I think that describes me pretty well because I'm able to enjoy most types of travel from backcountry, backpacking, low impact, carry out everything you carry in, to sitting uh, by a pool, enjoying the sun. It really, to me, it depends more on who I'm with and what they want to do. I just enjoy the nature of seeing new things and getting to experience those things with people that I enjoy spending time with.
0: So does that mean you don't have a favorite place that like, if you could go anywhere right now, where would you be like, where would you be on your ideal vacation right now?
1: So this is a question that people ask me a lot because I travel so much. And the answer I give always feels kind of cheesy, but it's also really true. And it depends on where my friends are or where my family is. I mean, I'm in Chicago right now. And the weather is not very nice, but uh, I'm here with my brother, my sister-in-law, and my nephews and my mom, and that makes it uh, very enjoyable. And I love the other cities that are on the top of my list are all places where I have large friend groups.
0: I'm kind of the same way. Like, everybody says, yeah, where's your favorite place? And I'm like, ah, it depends on what time of year it is or how I'm feeling or, you know, there's always the next place. There's not the place. Exactly. I think for me. Do you have a place that you find yourself going back to a lot? Like, I know you said you tend to gravitate toward where people are, and so that would seem to me like it leads you to places over and over again. Do you have a place that you keep going back to?
1: Yeah, recently I've been going back to Mexico City a lot. Um, I find myself bouncing between Mexico City and Chicago. Chicago is basically home or the closest thing to a home base that I have. Um, and Mexico, I have a lot of coworkers and a lot of friends there that aren't coworkers. And I've just learned to really, really love Mexico city.
0: So it sounds like, I mean, you said you're traveling a lot, like how, how you said right now you're in Chicago. Like, do you live in Chicago or do you sort of live wherever you are? I mean, I know we're talking about digital nomads. Are you one of those yourself?
1: I in a way, am. I uh, live wherever I am. I don't call myself a digital nomad, um, but that term probably describes me well. I don't think there's a popularly accepted term that works that well. I like to say a location-independent professional, but I think that's too much of a mouthful. It'll never catch on. Um, But yeah, I live out of a Uh, carry on. And I have been doing that since I would say about July of 2016. I uh, sold my car, broke my lease, and I have lived wherever my bag and my laptop are ever since.
0: Do you ever find yourself like wishing for a place that is like home? Or has that not ever caught up with you? Or do you see it ever catching up with you?
1: I think it'll catch up with me eventually. There are times when I'm bouncing around place to place every two weeks or so, and that gets really tiresome for me. Um, And I do end up wishing for more stability. But when I'm able to spend four weeks or more in any given place, I don't really end up missing home that much. I miss having a bicycle because it's my favorite mode of transportation and my favorite way to see a city. And it's very hard to travel with a bicycle, although I do know some people who do it. Um, but I found as long as I have some place to stay, uh, generally an Airbnb where I have a little bit of my own space, I'm able to make myself feel at home.
0: And it seems like these days more and more places have bike rentals. Like I'm in Phoenix and right now we have multiple sources of bike rentals. And actually, do you know what the big new thing is? These little motorized scooters. Have you seen those anywhere?
1: Oh yeah. They're all over the place. They're all over the place in Mexico city and they are a ton of fun to ride around on.
0: See, I've never tried them, and I am um, at ASU, and so our students are like, this is the thing. This is how students get around. And those things zoom, man. Like, I'm I'm sometimes worried when I'm walking down the sidewalk that I'm going to get run over.
1: Yeah, you definitely have to have a higher level of uh, situational awareness now when you're in a city where those are around because – There, people are. I don't. You're not supposed to take them on the sidewalk, but it seems like a lot of people do it anyway.
0: Yeah, and and I just I wonder because in other, it seems like the next element of the sharing economy, and I just wonder what are the the regulations that are going to pop up because of those. I know on campus, I think you're actually not allowed to ride them. Like ASU has already done something about it, and I'm just wondering, like cities, are they going to say, hey, listen, this is maybe not good for other pedestrian traffic? Are are they going to make changes, you think?
1: Yeah, I wonder, too. Someone was telling me that in Minneapolis, which is a very bicycle-friendly city, that it was actually the cyclists who were complaining because the scooter users are taking up the bike lanes. And I, I think it'll be really interesting to see how it shakes out, whether cities try and regulate them out of business or whether they persist because people seem to love them.
0: Yeah, I mean, that much is definitely true. So I want to talk a little bit about you and how you got into being, I guess, a a location independent, sorry, what was the term?
1: Location independent professional.
0: Yes, location independent professional. But right now you are working for a company called Remote Year. And can you tell me a little bit about what that company does and how you got into this position as a legal counsel for them?
1: sure so remote year is a platform for people who are able to work remotely and want to travel while they do it so for anyone who has a job that they could do from their local cafe or from their couch or maybe they do it from their office but they don't need to and they want to keep working but they want to travel and because they want to keep working they don't want to deal with the logistics of finding apartments to stay in, finding co-working spaces to work from, finding friends to travel with, Remote Year provides that platform for them. So a Remote Year customer, which we call a remote, uh, would sign up with us, they would join a cohort of other people who can work remotely, and they will then travel the world together, staying in one city for up to a month before transitioning together to the next city, and Remote Year provides them with their apartment, access to co-working space, and a bunch of events and activities and professional development opportunities and volunteer opportunities all locally.
0: So are there like itineraries Is this sort of like a cruise where you can sign up for different itineraries that go in different parts of the world?
1: Exactly. We have set itineraries. Uh, we have 12-month itineraries that do Latin America, Europe, Africa, and Southeast Asia. We have some 12-month itineraries that do the same just without Southeast Asia because for some people who are working on U.S. time zones, spending a few months in Southeast Asia becomes really difficult. You become nocturnal for a while. Some people are happy to deal with that because Southeast Asia is awesome. And then we also have four-month itineraries that will do one of those regions.
0: Sort of how we got connected was I had written an article about digital nomads, and I had run into a lot of questions about visa issues and tax issues. And one of the things, there's a, there's another great resource for digital nomads out there on Reddit, if any of the listeners are Redditors, um, in that there's a subreddit on digital nomads. And I just got really curious about, you know, most of the questions that show up there are about, you know, what do I do about... My, you know, taxes. What do I do about um, visas? What do I do about that sort of thing? And it sounds like you've become an expert on that. So, can you tell us how you became an expert in that area?
1: Yes. So, it's an interesting story. Um, I am a lawyer, and I used to be a litigator. I used to wear a suit and tie and go to court and work at a big office in Chicago. And uh, that life was not for me. I left it in 2014, and I. Uh, went and traveled on my own for a while. And I ended up after about six months back in Chicago, and uh, I started working in an incubator for tech startups. And I'd never worked in the startup space. So this was the first time I was paying attention to the startup space. And I read about this company called Remote Year. And while I was reading about it, I realized that I knew one of the founders. We had actually gone to the same summer camp, and I had been his camp counselor back when I think I was 17 and he was 12. And I reached out to him, uh, not looking for a job, literally just wanting to say congratulations because I thought the company he had started was so cool. And we ended up grabbing lunch a week or two later, and he spent the entire lunch telling me about the fact that all of the laws related to tax and immigration around the world did not account for the way that people currently travel and somebody has to do something about it. And at the end of lunch, he asked me if I wanted to be that person. Um, so I went to this lunch hoping to catch up and ended up getting offered what I didn't realize at the time uh, was my dream job, and I actually said no when he offered me the job, and then I woke up the next morning and called him and said, I don't know why I said no, of course, this sounds amazing. So that's how I got started. Um, I didn't have a background in tax or immigration, and I spent the first year of my time at Remote Year Really, just doing as much research as possible, talking to as many people as possible in various immigration departments or lawyers and accountants around the world, trying to explain to them what remote work actually is and what it looks like, and get their best input and analysis on what the potential implications are.
0: Yeah, because remote work is not something that people have been really doing in mass for a very long period of time. Like it seems like maybe in the early thousands, a few people started to do it. And then in the 2010s, it's become a little bit more popular. And then maybe since 2015, 2016, things have really taken off. Is that accurate?
1: I think that's completely accurate. We've found ourselves in an area where if you take immigration, for example, most countries' immigration schemes for short-term visitors consider a tourist, a business traveler, or someone who's going there to work or a student. And the way that they conceive of a tourist is someone who's really unconnected, unplugged, going on vacation. The way they conceive of a business traveler is someone who's going there to have a meeting or two or do some scouting. And a student obviously is going there to study and someone who needs a work permit is going there to work for a local entity. They're gonna have a local employer and get paid locally but it doesn't account for someone who's going there as a tourist, they're gonna do a lot of the things that a normal tourist does, but while they're there, they're gonna pull out their phone or their laptop and spend some time completing work remotely for their employer who's back at home.
0: And that's like even when you're on vacation. I mean, I don't know a lot of people these days who when they're traveling don't log into their work email at least once just to check on how things are going. In this scenario if they're on a tourist visa and I think a lot of th- times people don't necessarily understand that when we travel somewhere and you just get like a stamp in your passport that's a tourist visa right
1: right so if you, uh, I'm assuming most of your listeners are in the US um, and uh, if you're from the US or uh, Australia or Canada or a lot of EU countries or the UK countries that have what are typically known as strong passports, which um, might sound derogatory towards countries that have less strong passports, but that's just how people refer to them. So I hope that's not offensive to anyone. But if you're from a country with a stronger passport, it's very likely that your country has visa waiver agreements with a lot of the other countries to which you would travel, in which case, yeah, you arrive and as long as you're a tourist, they just stamp your passport that basically counts as your visa upon entry. And you don't have to apply otherwise.
0: Yeah, you don't have to go through a full application process. And normally those are good for, what, like 60 or 90 days, something like that? Yeah,
1: 60, 90, uh, 180. And in Mexico, I believe it's 180. Um, In most of the EU, it's 90 days.
0: But if somebody, let's say, comes to the U.S. and they're on a tourist visa, but they log into their work email, they do some work, etc., is that breaking the the rules of their tourist visa?
1: So the U.S. is actually one country where this is a lot clearer than many of the others. And that would most likely make the person immigration noncompliant. If you were to come to the U.S. on a tourist visa and do some work remotely or respond to some emails while you're here, technically, um, you would most likely be immigration non-compliant. And I actually, I'm not sure when those laws were written. I don't know if they were written to address that type of worker or if they were written before Wi-Fi was everywhere and before people were traveling like this, but they were just written so narrowly so that it makes it clear that you can't do that under the current tourist scheme.
0: But most other places, it's not that clear, right? Like, it's, it's just sort of this gray area where a lot of people are doing it and nobody knows if it's okay or not.
1: Right. So there's, I, I like to think of it and there's, there's four different ways that countries look at this. The one is the way that the U.S. looks at it, where if you are doing remote work while you're on a tourist visa, that's not okay. Um, the second way... which is the way that I believe Estonia might be the only country that looks at it this way, which is that if you're on a tourist visa, you can do remote work for a few days, but anything more than a few days, um, you would need a work permit or it would just not be okay on a tourist visa. Then there are some countries where it's actually pretty clear in their legislation that you only need work authorization or a work permit if you have a local entity that you're working for or if you're getting paid locally for your work. So while they don't explicitly say that remote work is okay on a tourist visa, um, it's basically clear that it's okay because the inverse, it's only possible to get a work authorization and you only need a work authorization for work that's not remote. Um, And then the fourth would be countries where it's just really, really not clear or not addressed.
0: And uh, you mentioned Estonia as one of the ones that says it's it's kind of okay as long as you're not doing it too much. And Estonia is kind of a a, a special case, right? Because they've sort of positioned themselves as a very e-friendly country. Like they even have this thing that's called e-citizenship, right?
1: Right. So Estonia, Estonia is... Uh, heads and shoulders above other countries when it comes to thinking about this stuff, addressing it, and trying to attract people who live this type of lifestyle. So they're working right now on the first ever digital nomad visa that will allow for people to work remotely in Estonia for up to 12 months. Um, Full disclosure, I've actually been... Working on it with them. I've been lucky enough to be part of the Estonian digital nomad visa working group and I think it's gonna be a game-changer It's you're still gonna have to apply for this visa and get approved But for people who want to work remotely around the world This is gonna be the first visa of its kind and I'm really hoping that other countries will take notice and follow suit
0: So I guess I have two questions one Is that likely that people will sort of follow that model and say Estonia is doing it, or maybe wait and see how it works? And then if it works, they'll say we'll do that too. And two, how quickly can countries change their immigration laws? Is that something like I know it's different for everybody, but it doesn't seem like something that would happen quickly?
1: Those are both great questions. So the first one is of how likely other countries are to follow suit. I think that. For some countries they'll be very likely to follow suit Um, some smaller eastern european countries have already mimicked what estonia did with their e-residency and uh, because they saw the success and the amount of revenue it brought in and the fact that there was little to no risk in doing so they basically copied that model and i think that when countries see that this digital nomad visa brings in an influx of tourism in the way that we think it will they'll do the same thing. Um, or at least I hope they will. I don't see why they wouldn't. I forgot what your second question was.
0: Oh, the second question is how how quickly do these things change? It seems like for especially for bigger countries like the U.S. to change immigration law, like it's not just as simple as like we say we want to do it and it goes through Congress and like immigration's a hot button issue right now in U.S. and a lot of other places. So How quickly do you see these things changing? And even if it is directed only at digital nomads, do you see publicity being an issue for that?
1: So I think that for countries where the law is really clear in that it doesn't allow this, it would take a while to change just because the legislative process is slow. Unfortunately, there seems to be this current global trend towards nationalism, which I think makes any immigration issues, even if it's just around tourism, it makes them kind of uh, hot button issues that people want to avoid. But I think the good news is that there are a lot of countries that wouldn't need to change their laws. They wouldn't need new legislation. There are a lot of countries where their laws just don't really address this. And it's pretty much a gray area. And they could just clarify their existing laws to say, essentially, okay, we understand what remote work looks like. We understand what you're doing. And as long as you're here for the length of time that's appropriate on a tourist visa, and as long as you're not doing any work that's actually being done in the country, like or for a company in the country, or you're getting paid in the country, as long as your work is truly remote then it's fine on a tourist visa. And that wouldn't take time. I mean, we've been able, uh, or I've been able to, with Remote Year, get a handful of countries to do that already. um, And just by explaining what remote work is to their immigration departments, get them to give us a binding or sometimes a non-binding ruling agreeing that remote work under those circumstances is okay on the tourist visa and that a work permit is only needed If you're uh, working for a local entity or getting paid locally.
0: But that's something if you're like an individual digital nomad who just wants to go do it themselves, that would be probably really difficult to do to get some sort, you know, a binding agreement from immigration saying, (laughs) yes, "Yes, it's okay for you to come here and do that.
1: It takes a lot of time, a lot of effort, uh, and it's a pain. And that's why I'm trying to figure out ways that um, we can make more of this public uh, and spread the knowledge to as many people as possible, both because I think it's great for the community of people who live and work remotely, and also because I think that's gonna be the best way to incentivize other countries to pay attention and follow suit. Um, For the individual though, and I I, I hate to, or I, I wanna be careful about the way I say this because I don't want to make individual digital nomads or people who work remotely and travel Sound like scoff laws, but for the most part uh, they don 't worry about it either because they don 't even think of it as an issue because this is just such it 's such a common thing to work while you travel as you mentioned, everyone who goes on vacation these days if you 're of working age, you tend to pull out your phone and respond to some emails, so they either don 't even think about it or they do think about it and they realize that enforcement is pretty low. The seasoned digital nomad knows that work is a four letter word when it comes to immigration and as long as they don't say it at the border they're unlikely to have any issues
0: and so do you think that as this form of work slash travel becomes more common i mean do you think countries are going to begin to enforce it in a different way i guess like what's the benefit to a country of saying we're going to now enforce this the way it is and say anybody who's on a tourist visa and is working Like what do they get like a fine or something or how does that even work?
1: I don't know and that's why I don't know why countries would be against this unless it was just due to uh, Lack of understanding on what this type of tourist is like Because when you think about it if someone who's living a lifestyle similar to my lifestyle um, I go to countries on a tourist visa I rent an Airbnb or I stay at a hostel or a bed and breakfast or or a hotel and I will frequent local cafes. I will do tourist things. I will go out to the local restaurants and bars. I spend my money like a tourist. The only difference between me and the people that they tend to think of as a tourist is that for a good chunk of the day, I'm probably sitting in a cafe or in my hotel or Airbnb uh, working and on video calls or responding to people in countries all over the world.
0: You're contributing in all the ways that a tourist contributes. And I mean, one of the things that most destinations like about tourists is you contribute to the tax base without consuming the things that taxes pay for. And it seems like that's still the case with digital nomads, right?
1: Right, so they're contributing as tourists. Um, you know, if they're a responsible traveler, They have uh, health insurance from their home country and they're paying into Social Security in their home country and they're highly unlikely to be a drain on the local economy. They're really just going to be a benefit on the local economy. Or I would say they're as likely to be a drain on the economy of the country they're visiting as any other tourist would be. They're no more likely. So there's no reason they should be treated differently and they are, from an economic perspective... They look exactly like a tourist and they don't look anything like someone who typically would require a work permit because they don't pay play any role in the labor economy.
0: Yeah, I mean, so and it also seems like the type of people who choose that lifestyle. They tend to be the type of traveler that a lot of destinations are going after now. The person that is going to shop locally, that's going to put their money into locally owned businesses, and that money will be recycled in the local economy, a thing that we call the multiplier effect, where their dollars are more impactful because it's not going to some external company. It's staying in the community. Do you you see that with, I mean, it would seem like your remote year uh, customers are probably that way because you're contracting with local companies but in general do you see that as a trend among digital nomads i think
1: so there's a big trend towards people looking for authentic experiences around the world and when you're looking for authenticity and you're in a foreign country that may have a walmart which might be convenient you're going to avoid the walmart and you're going to go to the local grocery chain or the corner store Because that's why you're there and that's what you're looking for.
0: Yeah, I mean, you're not not there to go to Taco Bell. You're there to go to a restaurant that's owned by somebody's grandma. Exactly. I'm just curious, as somebody who is living that lifestyle and is working for a company in Remote Year that provides that lifestyle for people, do you have tips for anybody who's interested in becoming a digital nomad? whether it be through a company like yours, Remote Year, or whether it's independent, like what are some thing, ways that you would say people could be intelligent about doing this type of lifestyle, including being smart about their visas?
1: When it comes to the visa part, I would say take the time to try and research the countries you're going to travel to and figure out when they require a work permit, and when they don't require a work permit or work authorization. And make sure that the length of your stay is uh, appropriate under a tourist visa, if that's what you're gonna enter under. And make sure that you're not doing activities that they don't allow on a tourist visa. Now, that is uh, difficult advice to give because that information is not always uh, easy to find. Um, Especially if you don't have a ton of time or if it's not your job to find that information like it's my job uh, but the good news is and again i say this um not wanting to give people advice on how to skirt the law you should always make sure that you know what the regulations and rules are but if you're entering a country as a tourist and you know it's okay to enter as a tourist make sure that you know the type of questions that people working in immigration control are gonna ask you and the appropriate ways to answer them so as just not to uh, make things confusing. I think that some people who are entering on the appropriate visa and not doing anything wrong will often say something just not clearly that ends up in them spending a little bit more time than they would have wanted to spend uh, having a back and forth with immigration control.
0: So be smart about what you say. Know the laws. Um, what about just from your experience as as living that lifestyle yourself? Do you have any tips for people who are thinking about taking the plunge?
1: Yes. If you're thinking about taking the plunge and you want to make this lifestyle sustainable, one tip is find ways to stay in touch with your friends at home and around the globe. Um, another tip would be find other people who want to do the same thing and This lifestyle is a lot more fun, a lot more sustainable um, if you have other people that you can do it with. And even if you're not going to every place with people and you want to spend some time on your own, it's just nice to have hubs or little groups where you can find like-minded people who are living a similar lifestyle and, for lack of better words, people who get it.
0: And it sounds like Remote Year is one place that you can do that if if that's something people are interested in. So where do they go to find out more about Remote Year?
1: Yeah, I don't want to sound too salesy, but I think that is right. Um, and if you want to find out more about Remote Year, you can go to www.remoteyear.com, or um, I think we are uh, just Remote Year on Instagram.
0: Cool. Well, Sam, I want to thank you for taking the time to join us. It, it, you really... I don't don't wanna say that you've made it very clear about all the different visa laws, but you've made it so people will now search and try and understand what's going on. And hopefully it will become more clear in the future uh, if you're behind writing all these new uh, digital nomad immigration laws.
1: Thanks, Evan, I really appreciate it. Yeah, and I hope I can make a meaningful difference and make this lifestyle easier for the remote working professionals and digital nomads of the future.